0: To WMQ&A, I'm Dan
1: Grote, and I'm Matt Laswitz, and welcome to our animated discussion of the 1994 to
0: 1996 animated series, La Tick. Uh, we're, we are recording this episode between Christmas and New Year's, uh, the old holiday taint. So we figured, why not have a little fun, dust off an old chestnut, uh, and to help us reach the nooks and crannies of that chestnut is another longtime friend of the show. Please welcome back uh, Dewey's Comic City manager, John Bush.
2: Thanks for having me back, guys always Always happy to
0: yes uh so before we get to the meat of the matter uh john how is the comic shop business these days how was how was 2021 for dewey's
2: i you know we were facing the same crap you've probably seen every other store face um there's paper shortages shipping issues uh new distributors so it was you know nice and stressful and uncertain most of the year like everything else and uh um you know, last year we had the additional stress of uh, moving last summer, but we've been uh, mm-hmm. in our new location for a year and a half now, and uh, that's going well. Um, but yeah, the comics industry, unfortunately, we're, we're, we're not getting spared any of the uh, rigmarole that's uh, hit the whole uh, comics retail industry these days. Um, but our shipping issues haven't been as bad as some. Um, there's been a couple of shipments that showed up on new release day, um, you know, late into the afternoon, but we haven't ever... Like I look at uh, some retailer groups online I'm in and I see uh, some of their shipments coming in all banged up and destroyed and they're getting their stuff like a week late, two weeks late. Um, But we've been spared all that stuff so far. So uh, I'm just staying grateful for that.
0: Mm. yeah no i've heard that's been an issue a lot of, with a lot of the um the people who switched to penguin random house from marvel like yeah oh yeah
2: some of these pictures it's just uh you know as a comic fan it's it's just grotesque seeing you know whole corners of boxes uh ripped up and smashed up and the boxes and the comics inside it it brings a tear to the eye
0: yes my actual nightmare
2: because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Me i mean it, if it gets like the whole corner like that's the whole corner that's that could be you know if it's a light like week that could be half the entire release week that's uh just got banged up right there and that that i don't like that i don't yeah, like no. that at all
0: he ain't meant no more uh, <laughs> no sir ah oh, man but uh apart from that you know what were what were some of the uh the biggest sellers at your shop any uh like you know big surprises in that vein or anything like that
2: um, there weren't a ton of surprises. I mean, obviously the big crossovers and the big number ones they put all their money into did the best. Uh, mm-hmm. Devil's Reign has done really well for us. Uh, the Kate's Otley Hulk has been really good. Uh, Venom obviously continues to be hot. Um, Batman Fortnite earlier in the year is still, I think, has the crown for uh, most ridiculous sales of the <laughs> list. Um, but I wasn't complaining. I just, uh, you know, wish I could have had... I, it's one of those things where I ordered, I thought I ordered a lot. And then mm-hmm. like an hour into the day, I was like, I didn't order a lot at all. <laughs> in fact, I ordered far too little. Uh, so I, I mean, it'll be a couple of weeks with FOC before I can actually fix this mistake. So that was uh, that was a painful couple of weeks watching people come in and have to say, oh, sorry. I thought I did good, but I didn't do good. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, but, uh, and there are some, uh, especially a lot of, uh, image books that I've really enjoyed recently that I think have done surprisingly well. Um, uh, not surprising cause they're good books just cause usually sometimes one of the, the indie stuff that I really like, uh, I can't get anybody to read it, but, uh, the good Asian has been really good and it's done very well for us. Uh, so I'm, I'm very happy about that. Cause that's one of my favorite books on the racks right now. Um, and then, uh, back in. It ended like a month or two ago, but the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton Mm. and uh, Vinyl were both miniseries that I really liked out of image and uh, they they both did really well. So uh, people are listening to me a little better, I guess, nowadays.
0: (laughs) As well well they should. Yeah, no, we just did our uh, Best of 21 uh, Mm -hmm. episode and I had Trigger Keaton on there Ah, in my top
2: three. I mean, it sold well, but it still didn't sell well enough to make me happy because everyone who comes into the store should be getting a copy of this book. It it was just really good.
1: It was a goddamn delight.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. We had Kyle Starks on uh, when when Trigger Keaton was just getting started. And uh, we talked a little bit about Assassination, his book from like two years ago with Eric Mm -hmm. Anderson. And like the one thing he said was like that that book didn't sell. And I I just like what I wasn't sure. I mean, what the metric is for that compared with other Starks books, but also like I fucking love that book. So... (laughs) Like to anyone who didn't buy it, you're an idiot. because <laughs> yeah, yeah. because it had fuck Tarkington, and and I'll have any excuse to say fuck Tarkington. It had fuck Tarkington and Dave, and that was the purest goddamn friendship I've ever seen in a comic.
2: Yeah, we need to get a petition started or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah,
0: Just go back, go back and read that book if you haven't. Please. Player
2: today, Kyle Stark's day.
0: Yes, whatever day this airs. Uh, and if Kyle, you haven't uh, read it, I'm sorry. I called you an idiot. <laughs> that that uh, was harsh, but definitely read it
2: It's accurate, it, it, it,
0: but I feel bad about it Yeah. yeah. See, see,
1: that's the difference Between you know, WMQ&A and Bat Chat, you apologize And you say stuff like that as most of my other co-host Who <laughs> stands Firmly by Every statement of derision He throws at our listeners
0: That Will Nevin is a beautiful man
2: <laughs> you No, know, you need to That's, that's what integrity is
0: <laughs> It is, indeed um you know we talked a little bit about this with, with shipping and whatnot but uh you know uh actually yeah i mean i, I guess that, that probably had to have been the biggest pain in the ass this uh, it was year. the
2: biggest pain in the ass uh so at dewey's we haven't quite switched to penguin random house yet we're starting uh next month so the first shipment of january will be our first shipment from uh random house so uh that's that's got me up at nights, you know it, imagining how bad that could get. Uh, but I haven't seen as many people posting about how terrible they've been, uh, recently. So either they figured something out or just realized that complaining wasn't going to do anything. So they stopped saying anything publicly, but, uh, you know, both equally probable, but, uh, that's, uh, that's what I'm stressing over right now.
0: Mm. Well, certainly best of luck with that. And, and uh, you know, hopefully this, uh, major publisher slash book dis- distributor has had. Yeah, it's
2: really the biggest book distributor in the world. How would they know how to ship things <laughs> properly? That's, you know, that's unreasonable uh, on my part. I understand, but uh, I'd still like to see it taken care of.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I I guess uh, send us a picture of that first box if they do bad. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's talk, uh, let's talk turkey. Let's talk uh, ticky. Let's talk about the tick, um, <laughs> Matt. R- remind me as we're st- r- as we're kind of getting started here. How do how do we end up putting this one together? Uh,
1: the complete tick became available on Hulu, which it has not been available complete ever. The DVDs only did the first two seasons and each of them was missing an episode. that They were afraid Marvel would sue them over having because of too close to reality parody. And the third mm. season was only released in Canada. And I actually looked it up today. And if you wanted to buy the third season on DVD now, it costs over six hundred dollars. Mm. So. Yeah, uh, that's why when all three seasons became available on Hulu, it was like, okay, we need to talk about this because this show rocks. And we were like, who can we get? We got to get John. So reach out, and there we go.
2: <laughs> there we go. I remember being very upset about those DVDs missing those episodes. I did not know that before I purchased them. I probably should have been on my guard after the first one when the second came out. I should have looked at it a little closer, but... I- I still forked money over and I was like, God, it's still. And it's, that's one of my favorite episodes too. It was the uh, omnipotence episode.
0: Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Great but, episode. You know, it,
2: it was, uh, it was very disheartening for me when I popped it in to watch that one specifically to watch that one first before any of the others. And it wasn't there. It was a, uh, it was kind of a bummer.
0: I specifically bought these discs to watch a guy in a blue suit drive around on a God at a golf cart.
2: Exactly. <sighs>
0: oh man um but let you know let let's let's kind of go back to when these episodes first aired uh again we're talking 1994 to 96 uh that that bizarre period otherwise known as the mid 90s um john take us take us on the way back machine where where are you in life when this show is is first airing
2: Oh man. Uh, so I'm about nine when it starts airing and, uh, i have just been seeing all the commercials for it, uh, in the lead up over the summer on the uh, Fox kids block of programming on Saturday mornings. Um, you know, I'm watching X-Men, uh, I'm watching Spider-Man starting 94 yet. I don't remember when Spider-Man. Yes, it did. It
0: did. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there. I'm watching
2: all the Marvel shows. I'm super into superheroes and there's this commercial for this new superhero, but it seems like maybe it's also kind of like a comedy. Um, and it sort of catches my eye. And, you know, like Freakazoid hasn't started yet. So this show is my first experience that, you know, superheroes could be satired. And at nine, you don't really know what satire is, or that things can be satire. Um, But this was sort of my first experience with that. Uh, And it was sort of uh, mind expanding and how I looked at, uh, you know, the comics I was reading at the time because at nine, I just started reading comics too. um, Because i had been watching the animated shows and Fighting people over Marvel cards at uh, recess during school, but uh, yeah, so this this was sort of my first uh, uh, brush with satire, or at least my first conscious brush with satire of the superhero genre.
0: It's good to start kids young on satire. It is <laughs> right. Um, you know that was that was an interesting time. It was a good time for animation. Probably the last kind of good run of the saturday morning cartoon as appointment viewing uh you know mm-hmm. you had in that era you had the Tick, you had batman the animated series you had x-men the animated series you had the spider-man cartoon which we just talked about freakazoi was just about coming uh animaniacs pinky in the brain uh, you know th- this was right before cartoon network and streaming made basically every second of every day saturday morning and you know, I, I was thinking about this today, really for us, as we got a little bit older and got into like college and everything, by that point, Saturday morning was all but dead, but we had then gotten Sunday night with uh, Adult Swim uh, again on Cartoon Network. Like that's sort of what replaced that for us when we got a little bit older and got into like Aquatine, Hunger Force and C-Lab and... You know, home movies and the Venture Brothers, which we're going to talk a lot tonight, I think, oh, yeah. about oh, yeah. the the narrative thread between the Tick and the Venture Brothers. Um, because it is there, but, you know, to start, just kind of focused on the Tick. What was it about this show on the whole that made it special? Especially
1: for the first season, because as just this is a year before Freakazoid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the this show was so damn smart. And I mean, so was Batman, the animated series. So was X-Men and Spider-Man, probably to a little bit of a lesser degree than Batman or the tick, just because they were trying for a, a wider audience, I feel, Mm -hmm. but the tick rewatching these episodes, it was just like, wow, I would have never picked up that joke back then. Mm -hmm. This works in that Animaniacs, pinky in the brain, jokes on multiple levels thing Mm -hmm. that we had never gotten a superhero show with humor doing that before this. And I mean, I think we'll also talk about this later, but the voice talent, on this is truly impressive and not necessarily in the voice talent in Batman, the animated series is equally impressive, but that's a lot of people who weren't your traditional voice actors. Mm -hmm. They now have become some of the standards of voice actors, but that was Kevin Conroy's first big voice gig. That was Mark Hamill's first big voice gig. They, They, reached into Hollywood getting character actors. Mm -hmm. This show reached into the bench of the great voice actors and gave them roles that would become some of their, you know, big legendary roles. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, let's let's pivot to that because I, I definitely, it was, first of all, it was the next thing on the list. And second of all, I definitely wanted to lean on you for that. So when I was going through... Uh, You know, I noticed, okay, well, Rob Paulson uh, was Arthur. I know him. Uh, I did not know that he had taken over for Mickey Dolenz of the Monkeys, (laughs) who was Arthur in the first season. Uh, I clocked uh, Maurice LaMarche as the evil midnight bomber, what bombs at midnight, (laughs) uh, who we will talk more about later on here. Uh, Looking at the voice cast for my episode, which I'll come to later, uh, Tress McNeil uh, from The Simpsons. Uh, was one of the voice actors. But who are some of the other uh, standout names from this cast there, Matt? Well, the
1: tick himself is Townsend Coleman, who worked with uh, Rob Paulson as one of the original TMNT.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, Rob was Raph in the original show, and Coleman was Mikey. Uh, Rob Paulson would go on in the not the most recent reboot, but the reboot before that Mm -hmm. to be Donatello on Teenage Mutant. He's been two different turtles over time, but Townsend Coleman has a really long, another one of these, you know, as long as your arm lists of uh, voice casts, especially in that period Uh, and made an appearance, a, a, uh, on camera appearance in the uh, Amazon Prime tick series. Oh, okay. Which was oh. cool. Um, uh, Sewer Urchin was voiced by Jess Harnell, better known as Wacko Warner. <sighs> okay. So okay. we had two Warners right there. Uh, I believe Deflator Mouse was, yeah, Deflator Mouse was Cam Clark, a third turtle.
0: Oh, yeah. okay.
1: Leo. So we had three turtles as regulars on this show. Um, They're the ones that immediately jump out, jump to mind. But if you go back and I mean, I'm just I just hopped over to IMDb to just make sure uh, that there was I wasn't missing anybody. Mm -hmm. But if you look at I mean, Pat Fraley, who's uh, just again, one of these guys. And I know that voice Mm -hmm. and uh, that was Krang. From the teenage, I mean, there's a lot of crossover with your TMNT voice cast here, and I mean, Mo Lamarche voices various characters. Oh, and we'll get to it, but the legendary Tony J as Chairface Chippendale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's again, he was a, a, an on, car- on camera actor, a very famous on ca- but he, uh, you know, Shakespearean actor. Mm-hmm. But he's probably best known for being in. Two major disney animated films uh, he's the guy who carts bell's father off to the lunatic asylum who runs the asylum in beauty and the beast hmm. and is the major antagonist in uh hunchback of notre dame, oh, notre wow. dame. why did i say okay. notre dame hunchback of notre dame claude frollo also he was the villain in the either first or second season of the Ron Perlman Linda Hamilton television series, Beauty and the Beast. So, two Beauty and the Beasts on Tony J's uh, resume.
0: That is, that is fascinating.
1: There you go. And, yeah. we, and we mentioned him, but Rob Paulson. And we'll talk about specifically Maurice LaMarche and what he was doing with uh, his voice in that particular episode that. My pick, uh, I believe Maurice LaMarche was also the voice of. Yes, he was. Uh, another one of my favorite characters, the Human Ton and Handy the Hand Puppet. Real <laughs> <laughs> book.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! I did not realize. You know, this is this is fitting that there's so much tissue between the tech and the original TMNT, mm-hmm. too, because both of those concepts come from that that. Sort of DIY comics era in the '80s, where young dudes were were self-publishing their own, uh, you know, s- differing degrees of satirical, uh, you know, riffs on on Marvel and DC, but with animals of various kinds. Um, so that is that is fascinating.
1: Oh, and I missed one. Oh, I am ahead. sorry. I yes. absolutely missed one. Uh, Dorian Harewood, uh, another major voice actor uh he um his voice the martian manhunter in a couple of places uh he's a great voice actor uh was also the voice of the legendary the one the
0: only taft he's a good neighbor <laughs> feeds those kitties <laughs> uh and then the show was also produced by Sunbow, which is the same animation company that uh, ruled our lives in the 80s with Transformers and G.I. Joe and uh, the X-Men, Pride of the, uh, Pride of the X-Men pilot. Bucky O'Hare. And Bucky O'Hare, Bucky O'Hare. that's right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, co-created so by Bucky Lethal O'Hare. Larry Hama, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that kind of struck me, and as I was sort of doing the, the, the Wikipedia tour of The Tick, uh, and and watching the episodes for the first time, uh, you know the show opens with basically the the opening theme is is just like scatting, like like that kind of of, of jazz. That was and it, it occurs to me that was a thing in the nineties, just for like a hot second. Like you know how we all remember when it, like swing music people got really into swing music for like five seconds in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, we all more. saw the Gap commercials. Where yeah. where they where they did like the matrix pan around and everybody yeah. Anyway, um yeah. So there was the tick theme and there was also do you guys remember Scatman John?
2: Vaguely, it's one of those things it's that not as well as I remember some of the other.
1: It, it sticks in my head with the, you know, that was a thing, but it, I, I wouldn't recognize the music particularly.
0: It was like it was a club track. But then there was a guy just sort of scat singing over it. And then because it was like a mid-90s club track, it also had like this sort of like deep voice guy like sing talking at you in the the verses. Um, Anyway, this led me down a whole goddamn rabbit hole. So I'm going to just derail the whole show right now uh, to share with you. Five things that I learned about Scatman John while ostensibly researching for this episode. I encourage you, if you don't remember this song or you're too young to remember this song, just go ahead and Google it. Uh just Google Scatman John. Uh it'll be an entertaining uh three, four minutes of your time. I promise you. All right. So, number one, uh his real name, john Paul Larkin. Number two, Scat John died of can- uh, lung cancer in 1999. No idea. Completely missed that. Someone check on Lou Vega. Um, number three, uh, he suffered from a severe stutter uh, from very early childhood, and that's actually what got him into scat singing as a means to actually communicate and perform that would uh, accommodate for that. Uh, he was he was a jazz pianist, uh, you know, for years and years until this actually encouraged him to kind of. Step up to the microphone. Uh, he was—he uh, was actually when he charted when when, when Scatman uh, charted. He was 53 years old in 1995 uh, when when that actually hit the charts. Uh, and then over the course of his life, uh, he released five albums, uh, including a posthumous Tupac album in 2001. So uh, this concludes Dan Scatman John interlude. I feel
2: very educated.
0: Hmm? It's <laughs> imp- more you important. Know,
2: Now, any Scatman John questions that come up on Jeopardy, um, I'm right on top of them now.
0: Uh, Yeah, hit me with a Mayim Bialik. Uh, (laughs) But but John, you actually had some thoughts on the tick theme as sort of part of a larger, uh, you know, the tapestry of animation at that time.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, you you see it a lot with, uh, from the 80s into the 90s, you saw sort of a trend in theme songs going from like these very pop jingly uh, kind of basically advertising tunes for theme songs, which, I mean, makes sense considering all 80s cartoons were just very long toy commercials themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but you saw it a lot. You saw it with Tick. You saw it with Batman, the animated series, and perhaps most famously and most influentially on me, the X-Men animated series, because uh, everybody... You walk into any room with anyone who was watching Saturday morning cartoons in the 90s and just go, and every <laughs> single person in that room for the rest of the day, that's all they're going to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sort of a small thing uh, in sort of a step of the maturation of animation, or at least uh, Western animation. Um, but you saw a lot of more sophisticated style of storytelling to the openings, even Uh there was a more diverse array of music. Uh, like even the three I mentioned, X-Men, Batman and The Tick, they all had wildly different themes. They weren't just, you know, that strange pop jingle um, that you, you were used to that just spelled out who everything was and which toys you want to buy. Uh, they, they introduced the characters uh, sort of more organically and visually uh, through the, the opening animations. You got a sense for what the show was, what it was about without a, you know, a tune of Jingle Singers or a team of jingle singers, uh, spelling it out for you right before you got into it. Um, so it was just sort of something you noticed that, you know, the people that were creating these cartoons were thinking it sort of is a sign to me that the people creating these cartoons were thinking about how they were putting their show together a little more. Uh, they were sort of more, uh, interested in making a good show than they were in keeping, you know, the toy companies happy. Although I'm sure that was still a big part of the business.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but you, you just start to see a little bit more ambition creeping around the edges, uh, which uh, I think sort of leads into a lot of the, the adult swim shows we talked about and, uh, all those kind of stuff that they weren't just thinking of cartoons as, okay, it's either fart jokes, uh, either adult <laughs> fart jokes on the Simpsons, or kid fart jokes in, in uh, whatever else we're doing. Um, but, you know, you start to see with uh, X-Men and Gargoyles, um, you know, you start to see a little more complex storylines, continuing storylines uh, with uh, The Tick, especially we talked about, it was sort of an introduction of satire and not just, you know, the Looney Tunes or Animaniac style of uh, mm-hmm. irreverence, although those were pretty good satire as well. But, you know, they were intention intended as comedies. It was a uh, sort of unique to see a sort of a bland action comedy satire uh which you were getting with the tick that you weren't getting in other places
0: absolutely and that continues too because i was just thinking about uh as you as you we're talking like the batman beyond theme remember mm-hmm. how that like th- that one was like kind of time stampy too because that had like a heavy sort of electronica uh, oh, yeah. uh oh, yeah. theme which was again one of those Genres that we burned through at We're the end of the mind. 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then
1: you get into Justice League and Justice League Unlimited with those big orchestral, superhero-y, you know, mm-hmm. bum bum. Lots of lots of uh it wasn't percussion, but it's percussive sounds, even if it's not actually on drums, like percussive guitar riffs yes. and things.
0: Oh my god, Unlimited had the best guitar riff like that was some Ingwie Malmsteam shit (laughs) exactly (laughs) it's so good
1: (laughs) I gotta go back and watch some JLU now actually I was just watching some uh, Brave and the Bold which is another one that had a great you know very of it's you know vibe with Brave Mm -hmm. and the Bold because it had that sort of 50s 60s throwback which is what the show was
0: yeah absolutely um another thing that i was thinking of uh just has a timestamp. the very first thing you hear slash see is a is a clock radio alarm going off i'm just like oh yeah we don't have those anymore that's not i think we should have their phones now and they all have like gentle pleasant sounds they don't have eh, 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 eh. like you're getting stabbed in the shower at the bates motel
1: I still use one because it's because it, the the soothing whatever on my phone mm-hmm. wouldn't wake me up. Uh-huh. Granted, I rarely need the alarm clock. I usually wake up without it. But if I if I need the damn thing to wake me up, mm-hmm. I need it to wake me up. I need it to be like, oh God, shut it off.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm with Matt on this one. The phone just doesn't hit hard enough. <laughs> I need to be smacked with sound in the morning if I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs>
0: fair um yeah so one thing that uh we mentioned briefly before but uh the tick was truly a forebear of the venture brothers uh you know both again talking about that sort of saturday morning to sunday night pipeline but also because jackson public one of the co-creators of the venture brothers was a writer for the for the tick cartoon and that's how he got his start and you can see especially uh you know rewatching my uh the episode that I picked to talk about later on. Like, Jesus Christ, that's a Venture Brothers episode, more or less. He wrote for the comic as well, I believe. He did a mini-series
1: at one point yeah, for
2: Karma Tornado. Was that yes?
0: Yes, yeah, it was Karma Tornado. Tornado.
1: Yeah. Hmm. So he and Edlund go back. And it's fascinating if you look at Edlin's career, where all the the stuff he does, People just think, you know, he's the tick guy, but he's done all sorts of TV. He's been a, a, a writer, producer for he, he did uh, at least, I think, a season as if not showrunner, at least director and producer on Angel. Oh, wow. And wrote at least one or two episodes of Firefly in its short run. I know he worked with Whedon a bunch during the period before we all, you know, knew about Joss Whedon. And he did uh, some uh, quite a bit of Supernatural, too. He was oh, in that pipeline okay. for a
2: bit. Oh, wow. I didn't know what shows I was expecting you to say, but I certainly wasn't expecting any of those.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Edlin, I think, was involved early in the like in the early days of Venture Brothers, I think because he was helping out uh, Jackson. Okay. He wrote a
2: couple episodes. Mm hmm.
0: But, uh, yeah, okay. So he's got some Tross Whedon stories. Wonderful.
2: We'll <laughs> yeah. uh. have to consult his attorney before uh, answering any questions about that era, yeah, I
0: guess. Of course, of course. Uh, now, since the animated series uh, aired, there have since been two live-action versions of The Tick. There was a, a 2001 uh, show with Patrick Warburton uh, in the lead role, and then there was... Uh, uh, an amazon prime series yeah with uh peter finowitz yep uh, as as the tick i forget how long ago that was probably within the last uh, five years
1: oh yeah uh i want to say it was either i think it was 17 8 17 and 18 or 18 and 19 something like okay. that
0: yeah now uh i'm gonna be honest i never saw the the, the first live action show but uh i only <laughs> watched maybe a couple episodes of the of the amazon series how do those hold up you know, compared to the original, do they have a place in your heart?
2: I haven't seen the original live action series since uh, the first couple episodes aired on, I guess it was Fox.
0: It was Fox, uh, yeah. They were on
2: originally. And I remember even like in high school being a dirtbag that this should have appealed to, <laughs> thinking this, this is just not a very good program. It's, it's not uh, a good show. You know, Warburton, I can't think of a better person to cast as the tick than Patrick Warburton, but what something about the show just didn't work for me. But like I said, it's been 20 years since I've actually watched it. Maybe I will have matured better with it by then. Uh, but the Amazon show, I loved that show. Uh, yeah. It was uh, it got off to a, kind of a bumpy start, but by the end it found its footing. And uh, Finowitz was uh, just absolutely fantastic as the tick. Uh, he uh, there's a certain way you have to deliver the tick's lines mm-hmm. so that uh, Warburton just didn't. A certain sort of I'm not even sure how to describe it. Matt's better with words. Maybe he'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> but there's a certain delivery to, uh, to make a good tick that, that Warburton didn't have. But uh Sir, I know it's, it absolutely nailed it.
1: Warburton never got the bombast.
2: That's a good word. Hmm. Hey, I like that one. Bro-
1: Brock Samson. Occasionally, I mean, when the rage bubbles up in Brock, Warburton gets loud. But mm-hmm. that's not bombastic. That's psychotic rage. Serafinovic's <laughs> got that, you know... You, you see it in the, the opening of an episode that we're about to discuss. I am mighty! The tick has to be... Bombastic is the only word I can come up with. And Warburton, while he's physically there and he can get the drier bits, mm-hmm. he's never out there. And if that's not Patrick Warburton's vocal style.
0: Mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And Sarah Finovich pulls that off. I mean, I was a little, you watch the first couple episodes of that and it's, it's dark with an absurd tick, Mm -hmm. but the rest of the show seems kind of dark and I was a little worried, but it, the humor really picks up as the series progresses. And while it remains the darkest of the three interpretations Especially in the second season, it becomes... It's dark in the similar ways that the Venture Brothers can be, where there is that darkness, but it's so absurd at the same time that it balances the darkness with a level of absurdity. Mm -hmm. It should still be on Prime, and if you have the chance and have Amazon Prime, it's definitely worth a watch. While it doesn't... It ends on something of a cliffhanger. It doesn't end on one of those cliffhangers where you're like, but, but I'll never know. The, the main arc of the season is wrapped up and it's, okay. it's the, the cliffhanger more has to do with minor characters and a setup for the next season. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, the tick and Arthur hanging over shark infested waters kind of thing.
0: <laughs> it's not the end of ALF. <laughs> I was going to bring it up. I'm glad you did. <laughs> uh tv's greatest cliffhanger at the end of alf oh yeah. christ um so before we get into our individual episodes uh i will throw in uh as required by law we have a question from asimov fangirl uh she asks uh which episode would you recommend for a newbie to get an idea or you know pumped for the show uh, the first episode, but the first one, or you know, a different one. Uh, also, I don't remember a lot of the cartoon, but the theme song hasn't quite left my head since the nineties.
2: And it shouldn't.
0: Yeah, no. I, us neither. <laughs> yep. Every now and then, just walk through the house like. Da-tweet-a, da-tweet-a. Mm. Ah. <laughs> I, I mean, the show's not super serialized, right? Like you could no. probably just pick up anywhere and and no, have a the time.
2: It's, it's super episodic.
0: I mean, the the great thing about it is the things that make it
1: serialized are all background things, Mm -hmm. which is great when you see those little things that they carry through that they never forget. But every episode stands pretty well on its own. We're about to discuss three episodes, any of which would be good and all of which showcase different aspects of what makes the tick a great show Mm -hmm. because one one is a superhero satire one is the height of the absurdism in the tick and one is a, a take on while it's a superhero another genre sort of being sort of lampooned at the same time as with the superhero stuff mixed in So I think any of these three episodes, as we talk about them, will make for a great starting place. And we have one from each season, which was coincidence, but was great.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that's also a testament to how well the show held up over three seasons, too. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, let's let's dive into those episodes. So uh, I actually just now tweaked the order, so I figured we just go in order of of, of the season. So uh, Matt, uh, why don't you talk about your episode first uh, from season one, The Tick versus The Tick? Okay, this is
1: probably my favorite episode, which is why I picked it, <laughs> uh, partially because it has one of my favorite voice performances in animation and partially because it showcases a lot of what makes the tick as a superhero send up work uh, that voice performance is by the legend maurice lamarche uh probably best known as the brain on pinky in the brain and morbo the news monster on Futurama as well as various other Futurama characters. But here, he's the evil midnight bomber. What bombs at midnight, baby? His entire dialogue with the exception of a couple lines is a stream of consciousness monologue. And it is LaMarche doing an impression of his, at that point, recently departed close friend, Sam Kinison. Well, LaMarche was a stand up before he was a voice actor, and he and Kinnison toured together. And I've heard uh, Maurice LaMarche tell this story on uh, Rob Paulson's now no longer running podcast, Talking Tunes, where Rob Paulson voiced uh, Rob Paulson, also legendary voice actor, voice of Pinky, Yakko Warner, and Arthur as of the second and third seasons of The Tick. Uh, but yeah, LaMarche, you know, Kinnison had recently passed and he'd heard this and he just, he got this dialogue and it was, it was Kinnison. It was Kinnison just going insane. Gotta throw in this story because it's a great Maurice LaMarche story. Uh, as one of his vocal warm-ups, LaMarche, who was legendary for his Orson Welles, which is the brain and he voiced Orson Welles over Vincent D'Onofrio's performance in Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he, one of his vocal war he would do the Orson Welles outtakes from uh, the commercials that Welles did. <laughs> he would just do, and, you know, Kinnison had recently passed and he was clearly down. Everyone knew it because, you know, his close friend had passed. And so they secretly wrote an episode of Pinky and the Brain where the brain had to read commercials. And while they removed some of the bluer bits of the, the, those outtakes, something to the effect of, uh, if anyone can actually make this sound good, I'll go down on them, which was what Wells actually said. That they, they removed that, but aside from that, they kept most of it pretty much intact. Uh, they had written this whole thing and the, everybody else knew. And Maurice came in and then they're like, Maurice, you got, you know, we decided to change the episode. And they gave him this and he just started to read it and it, it buoyed his spirits, which is a great story. And I'll throw this also in there as an aside. If you haven't and you have the chance, a couple of years ago, Rob Paulson released a memoir called Voice Lessons that is phenomenal. And he, you know, as a lot of people who, you know, Hollywood celebrities who are writing memoirs, he worked with someone on it and he regularly cites that person as to many others who just kind of don't. Mm-hmm. But uh, Paulson is very much upfront about working with this guy on voice lessons. There's a lot of great stories in there, but back to this episode, aside from the incredible performance of the evil midnight bomber what bombs at midnight and he's also doorman the doorman at the comic club the superhero Mm -hmm. club Uh, there's a lot of really just smart humor in there this has one of the ticks most memed lines in the opening the you know can you destroy the plot i hope not that's where i keep all my stuff Which is a great line and one of those tick lines that gets quoted a lot. And sometimes I really do wonder how many people who are quoting it, you know, re- realize, remember where that's from. It's just something they've heard and so mm-hmm. they run with it. Uh, this also has the, a line that absolutely sums up the tick as a character for me, really must the tick in a nutshell. When Barry, this jerk whose brother in law owns the Comet Club, the superhero nightclub, who goes by the tick, comes in. Where's the jerk who calls himself the tick? The tick stands up and replies, I am that jerk. That is the tick in a nutshell. He's so self-unaware, but he's so confident in who he is. That is absolutely the tick.
0: There's
2: another line in the episode, like right before they're walking into the bar, uh, the doorman asks them all for their identification. And the tick, it's just sort of, you get this sort of bombastic buffoonery out of the tick. And then every once in a while, you just get this really, like, uh, did he really just say, is that that character that just said that? Like, as he's going in, uh, they ask him for ID when they're going in and the tick's just like under his breath goes, oh, I get it. Spelling America with a K, are we? No, I read this. It. Like, and I thought, like, that's such like a sly like line that you wouldn't think that a guy that stands up and screams, "I am that jerk," would come up with. But you know, there it is, all the same. And I think that's one of the things that makes the series so great.
1: Yep. And the although all of those lines are, are phenomenal, the the best thing in the episode outside of the evil midnight bombers' insane screed is this one speech. That this orangutan sidekick gets because Arthur is put in the sidekicks lounge, which is looks basically like the tool shed out back, <laughs> and he's in there with uh, a dog, an orangutan, and a teenage girl, and the orangutan just goes off on how he wishes he was back in Borneo, and. Borneo, sweet Borneo, which is something I'll say every now, anytime I hear the name the word Borneo, and you know, you gotta grab the stack of the trees, not here no, some hairless jerk had to invent money a hairless jerk like you 65 cents for a candy bar (laughs) Arthur's reply is another one of those lines that I I will regularly quote, you frighten me terribly, can I go now (laughs) (laughs) Anytime somebody goes off on a, a random rant, that is my response. You frightened me terribly. Can I go now? it's just oh, so insane. And I mean, we get the the three regular supporting heroes, uh, Deflator Mouse, who is the worst, <laughs> who is just the worst. And that's on full display. Yeah. He is the 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 multiverse's worst bat hero. and, and Believe me, I know there are plenty of bad bad heroes in the multiverse, but Deflator Mouse is the worst. Sewer (laughs) Urchin, definitely Sewer Urchin. And American Maid, who is just, you know, great. But we also get Big Shot, who is a Punisher analog, who here has been going to therapy. And his whole bit about put your anger in the happy box (laughs) is so good. So good.
2: Yeah, I looked at, uh, so before, like, Stan and Jack introduced uh, all their big superheroes in, you know, the anthologies, they had, like, sort of prototype heroes, like, there was a prototype Hulk, there was a Dr. Pym before there was an Ant-Man, they had an issue where Thor came up, and uh, the Tick versus the Tick, I look at that, that's the prototype of the Venture Brothers, like, this is the prototype episode of the Venture Brothers, before there was Venture Brothers, they tried this, because you've got big Shot who has the biggest uh, Venture Brothers character arc there is. He shows up and he's just this obvious parody in the first episode. And the next time you see him, he's in therapy, he's getting help. He's talking about the happy box. Uh, and, you know, you get it a lot with the uh, the sidekicks out in the the sidekicks lounge. It's sort of like is an early version, at least to me, reads like an early version of like the um, Guild of Calamitous Intent and the... the uh, <laughs> whatever the good guys version of it was. I can't remember now. The OSI. The uh, OSI. That's right. Uh, and, you know, they had their own slang. They're like, how long you been kicking? And it's like, you immediately know what they mean. They mean sidekicking, but it's like, you know, it, it's that whole venture thing of building this whole culture around like the absurd adventurer lifestyle. But there's like this hierarchy of rules and everything that surrounds it uh, implied in that. So I, I, since we were talking about the Venture Brothers, I just thought this is This episode is the Venture Brothers before there was Venture Brothers, in particular.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: But there's sorry, for a second there, my my internet hiccups, and I was like, oh god, is this going to drop out again? Two weeks in a row, but no, it didn't. I'm glad. (laughs) Um, One last bit. Excuse me, for me. Now, this of course comes from. To to paraphrase the the guys on the We Hate Movies podcast, the internet's most reliable source for movie and television trivia, the IMDb trivia section. So take it with a grain of salt. Apparently there was a fourth season script written. And of course the series only ran till three, where it turns out that Barry is actually Carmelita's brother, that the tick costume that he wears comes from hmm. the same set of suits that were created for you know the, the moth suits. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, don't know how accurate that is because the IMDB trivia is only slightly more reliable than Wikipedia maybe even slightly less reliable depending yeah, <laughs> on some that of that, that trivia
0: Wikipedia
2: has moderators I, I don't know that AMD does
1: <laughs> that is fair uh, but it's an interesting little little bit but yeah this is oh it's and I, I don't think it's the first mention of Dot Arthur's sister but you know they're driving Dot's car mm-hmm. to the club and so mm-hmm. there is one of if not the first mention that Arthur has a sister and there's also an appearance by Mighty Agrippa, Roman God of the aqueduct.
0: yes <laughs> <laughs> it, it is one of those episodes where like The Tick was very good at, at having characters only show up in one episode or you know maybe two episodes and just making an impact like Evil Midnight Bomber is an amazing character and that's definitely like in my top five episodes of the entire show and he
1: like you know he shows in the background a couple times and he never has a line again yeah he's just there and that is it's such a memorable character and it's it's almost entirely on LaMarche's performance Mm -hmm. because if you did that crazy dialogue with a voice that didn't work it would have been kind of grating but LaMarche just hits it out of the park with that performance definitely so that, that is my pick, the tick versus the tick.
0: All right, then. All right, so we're going to move on to John's pick now from season two, uh, The Little Wooden Boy and the Belly of Love.
2: It's, it's just a wonderful episode. It You know, it's uh, the tick's take on Jonah and the whale, and uh, it, it's just great. Uh, so actually, in the intro to uh, Tick versus the tick, which has the EGAD, I hope not, uh, that's where I keep all my stuff line. (laughs) He also get take a viewer question uh, if uh, if they're seeing anyone, if they have a girlfriend. And Tick goes off on this long, long screed about how they don't have time for girlfriends because they have justice to fulfill or whatever. Um, And so it it was kind of fun. uh, You know, the themes of the episode kind of bring that back. It's, It's sort of one of those weird little bits of continuity that, The Tick is very anti-romance, and I'm not sure what to make of that. But uh, so anyway, we talked about uh, we mentioned Carmelita earlier, and she's uh, the daughter of the inventor of Arthur's flying suit. Uh, She has her own moth suit. And uh, there's these Swiss army people. uh, They're Swiss industrial saboteurs who have a Swiss army knife uh, weapon is their theme, uh, which is also just fantastic. And they're trying to uh, steal the flying suits and a book of things that uh, come with that. But, you know, that's not what makes it fun. Uh, What makes it fun is the opening scene of the show is just a giant whale in overalls storms out of the ocean and starts running across the country. And you're like, why is this whale running across the country? They never answer that question. There's just a whale. And he happened to have eaten Carmelita's father five years ago, <laughs> and that's why he's in the episode. Is because they have to get eaten to find the father, and it, it I, I absolutely love it. Um, and of course, there's uh, this episode gets its name from the little wooden boy because obviously Arthur would rather go out with his girlfriend than stay home and do hobby night with Tix. Uh, so <laughs> he he carves himself a new sidekick out of wood. Uh, which whom he takes on patrol and who uh, is very good at detecting trouble. Actually uh, little wooden boy is the one who spots the Swiss saboteurs later in the episode, uh, which uh, surprised me, but uh, yeah, there's just, uh, there's just so much going on in this episode that I just love um, you know, like the ticks got this weird codependent superhero sidekick dynamic going on with Arthur where, you know, he, he doesn't know how to exist outside of this like superhero uh archetype where you know i fight justice and i have a sidekick and that's all i know like it, anything outside of that it, i reject it outright without even asking uh if it's good or bad if it gets in the way of me making macaroni ducks with my sidekick to increase our bonding you know this
1: is one of the height of absurdity in the tick
2: blowhole
1: mm-hmm is complete absurdism because there's no explanation it's just kind of like all right he's in a whale and uh, he's a bipedal whale running across the country okay no explanation no explanation needed and there's a brief cameo at the beginning by the angry red herring a villain (laughs) who it has you know, guns shooting out of its eyes and whose whole stick by the end winds up feeling very Scooby-Doo. Cause he's, I don't remember exactly what he is. I forgot to write it down, but it's something so prosaic. It's like, yeah, he's, you know, pretending to be an angry red herring for finance crimes. It's <laughs> a level of absurdity. And also something that I'm, shocked that i'm It's one i'm pretty sure i must have noticed it at one point or another but the diner where the superheroes hang out is ben's diner clearly a reference to ben edlin creator of Mm. the tick Mm -hmm. which i had just never picked up before and was like oh that's a neat little bit that i probably should have noticed in one of the million times that i have watched some of these episodes
2: yeah i another great restaurant name was uh when Arthur and Carmelita went out to on their date at the end of the episode. The restaurant was the Bistro de Burden. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great name.
0: It's good building naming. Um, One thing that is consistent, largely consistent across episodes, they do a lot of episodes with like news anchors and like news reporters doing like, you know, TV news reporters doing on the spot things. Um, a lot of times it's, uh, Brian Penade, uh, a large man with a tiny head, uh, yeah. but in the blowhole episode, I guess they couldn't get the voice actor who did Panade. Um, it's, uh, it's a woman. And of course I'm, I'm blanking Sally on. The, God, I'm sorry. Sally vacuum. Sally vacuum. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Great name. A couple episodes. And, and she's just harping blowhole the whole time. You mentioned we don't get any <laughs> explanation. She's just asking blowhole the most inane questions while she's sort of. I think tangled or she gets tangled around him or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's just like blowhole. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? (laughs) So fun, fun with media. (laughs) Always a good time, but uh, any, uh, any more on this one before we move on? (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, uh, yeah, let's, let's dive into uh, my pick then from season three. Uh, the Tick versus Science, uh, and, and we're back to uh, naming episodes The Tick versus in Season 3. But uh, basically, in this one, The Tick and Arthur attend a super science convention, or a mad science convention, excuse me, uh, where they are to be guinea pigs for a mind transfer experiment run by Arthur's girlfriend's father, Professor J.J. Vatos, uh, and uh, Chairface Chippendale sends his personal mad scientist, uh, fellow named Chromedome, to interfere uh, hijinks ensue and, uh, a bunch of the characters all end up, we meet like all these crazy, like mad scientists and their assistants, and they all end up getting their body switched and then chair and his goons enter the picture. And then a bunch of them all get there and end up getting their body switched. Uh, so you've just got like switches on switches on switches. Um, this is another one where you can definitely see the venture brothers in it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons that uh, I love it. This was like the third episode from the end of the series. And uh, again, it's just it shows you how well the show held up. But like it's juggling this huge cast of characters, many of whom you're seeing for the first time. Some of them are recurring over the course of the series. uh, And one of them, the
2: zebra and a scientist or a scientist in a zebra's body.
0: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so there's there's a scientist who had already who had tried mind transfer technology years ago and got stuck in the body of a zebra. Uh, his original human body is on the African savanna running with zebras and and drinking out of uh, freshwater streams. Uh, and in the meantime, he spends his time uh, working on line proofing technology. Uh, that's his big thing now. But uh, it, it's crazy because it introduces all these new sort of mad scientists, throws them in the mix. Um, there's a, a woman named uh, Regina Hume, who's voiced by Tress McNeil from The Simpsons. Uh, her big thing is uh, a man that comes out of a spray can. Uh, yeah, can of man. He's uh, basically an automaton that you you know spray out when you need help moving a couch. Uh, and then in an hour, uh, he dissipates in a cloud of fragrant potpourri. By the way, Tress McNeil, uh-huh. also Dot Warner,
1: thus compete, completing our Animaniacs trifecta.
0: Okay, so The Tick, just crawling with Animedia and Ninja Turtles. There are worse ways to be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Uh, but my favorite of the characters that are introduced in this episode has to be uh, Dr. Mung Mung uh, and his assistant, Tung Tung.
2: Tung Tung so- might be the most disturbing character creation of all time.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so tongue uh, tongue tongue is just a giant tongue yeah. uh, that has uh, also tongues for arms and feet and also a mouth with a smaller tongue in it uh, and doesn't speak uh, just kind of makes like, you know, those cartoons are noises. And then Dr. Mung Mung uh, is just this creepy little man with a flat affect who will threaten to kill you. Uh, and he never makes the mind transfer. He <laughs> remains Dr. Mang Man. <laughs> But Arthur, Arthur, <laughs> after he's done being the tick, and there might be one other switch in there, ends up in the body of tongue tongue. And so he spends a good like five minutes just going, I can taste the floor. I'm tasting your back.
1: I can taste everything. <laughs> Rob Paulson's delivery. So self, oh, it's the 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 sheer horror in his delivery of those lines is phenomenal. It is. Doctor Mung Mung, by the way, voiced yes. by Danny Mann, who also voices Dinosaur Neil.
0: Okay, all right then.
1: <laughs> One of the Tick Repertory players.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, it, it's just it's a it's 20 minutes of sheer chaos uh and and i love it <laughs> I, I love the, uh dr
1: vados's reason for creating the mind switch is he you know world peace you know because once you've walked a mile in somebody else's shoes I'm like that's the end of batman 66 the movie that's <laughs> clearly a reference because the the un people get kidnapped in the the vile and uh Dehydrated, and the vials get spilled and mixed up, so their their minds are in different bodies. And Batman's like, maybe now they'll better understand each other. I've got to imagine that was an <laughs> intentional reference to the end of that film, because if there is a a film that has that tick ethos, it is Batman sixty six, because it is completely insane. And some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, it is—it is absolutely another one of those things where the tick is sort of the 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 do right straight man in a world of colorful nonsense. It's just that he has a straight—you know—the straight man also has a tiny straight man who hangs out, (laughs) a tiny, (laughs) tiny even straighter man who hangs out with them.
2: Yeah, and also, you know, the premise of the pilot episode of the Tick is the Tick just can't get rid of a bomb. (laughs) That's true. That is very true. I mean, he just holds on to it and let it explode because he's not invulnerable, but, you know, thematic, but.
1: Yep. And, Oh, The whole recurring thing is that Arthur still hasn't worked up the nerve to kiss Carmelita. And at the very end, when he does, it is. It, it's still the tick in Carmelita's body, and mm-hmm. the great thing about it is. The kiss happens and it's not like a gay panic moment like this isn't Chandler and Joey on friends. Mm-hmm. It's just a dude you the text disgust isn't that, you know, a dude kissed him. It's that you don't do that to your, you know, superhero partner and, and Arthur, <laughs> Arthur just can't catch a break. <laughs>
2: That's like he's like egging him on the whole time to kiss her and her father's egging her on the whole time to kiss her. And, you know, tick screams at him. He's like, come on, man, make the four lipped butterfly.
0: <laughs> that's, that's another that's, great bit uh, where uh, Arthur's, you know, thinking about kissing Carmelita and and the tick is over Ar- like a floating head of the tick uh,
2: mm. is
0: over Arthur's shoulder egging him on. And then a floating head of Carmelita's father is over her shoulder egging her on. And then all of a sudden, the two floating heads, which are just supposed to be figments of either of their imaginations, just start talking to each other. Oh, hey there. Oh, hey, how's it going? That's great. Yeah. Dude. Just, yeah, no, it's it's just, it's really, it's some of the best comedy you could get on a, on a Saturday morning. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, in the Tick versus Science, uh, just to get back to the Venture Brothers uh, yeah. line with these, this is uh, of the three episodes, this is the only one that has uh, Chris McCullough credited as a co-writer. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, you see the credits right before the episode starts. So I I see his name up as they're going to like this mad science fair. And I'm like, well, this is, this is the pilot to the venture brothers as they go to this super science fair, uh, where they, you know, see that. So I I was like, so clearly he had some influence. He took a lot of influence from the tick or a lot of ideas from the tick with him over the venture when they were, uh, when that started.
0: I, I kept kind of thinking of the episodes where they're at the venture compound and they turn it into like um, when Doc and season one, when Doc has the yard sale <laughs> uh, or um, there's one oh that,
1: God, from deep mode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Walk, walking, eye, um, I forget what's the, it's one of the later seasons, maybe like four, three, four, five five in there somewhere, somewhere in the middle where uh, it's like a science fair for children and they all have like their little booths. Yep. Or like a career fair. So like um, the captain's got his own booth and yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, we'll just go from stop to stop, meet this colorful character, do the next thing. And then eventually they'll, you know, the, the plot will kick into gear, but you know, let's do bits first. Let's do bits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it- Always
2: time for bits.
1: Yeah, it's Cano I mean, Man is absolutely something someone on the Venture Brothers would have come up with.
2: Yeah, I mean, I the first thing I thought when I saw that uh, again because I saw it when I was a kid, but when I was re-watching for that, I was like, did did the Tick invent Mister Meeseeks? <laughs> <laughs> Look
0: at me! But yeah, so that was the Tick versus Science. That was that was three episodes. Um, so we're 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 in the home stretch. We're we're winding down uh john what are you reading right now
2: uh right now well uh unfortunately six sidekicks and vinyl are over uh so (laughs) in terms of what i'm super excited about uh primordial uh also out image uh and sorrentino uh just love super crazy books about space animals uh flying spaceships Mm -hmm. and also conspiracies and uh a Pink Floyd page and, and just all kinds of stuff going on there. Uh, great art from uh, Sorrentino, some of his trippiest stuff yet. Um, he just really knows how to, he's got this weird thing. That, well, he kind of cribbed it from Wii 3, but I won't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have all these, a million little tiny panels, you know, out of order in time, uh, sort of transitioning between, you know, reality and, and, and unreality and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just a great book like that. And uh, on the big dumb punching spectrum, uh, the Keith <laughs> Notley Hulk, uh, it's just been fantastic. Like the opening of the second issue where Hulk is flying between dimensions and the, these dimensional police try and stop him, like they hold up and like stop. And the Hulk just like flies right through them because Banner's asleep at the helm. And then he like the bump sort of wakes him up. And he's like, ah, ah, what I hit. And then it goes and it shows like this whole spaceship exploded and all these like floating body parts out in space. And he's like, ah, I'm sure it was nothing <laughs> I was like this, this. is a so this is just going to be invincible, except with the Hulk, I guess. <laughs> you see, that is a
1: there's a very invincible sequence with the bodies.
0: Oh, man. Right on. Well, uh, you know, before we let you go, is there anything you want to uh, plug or, or put out there? Do Dewey's mm. or, or whatever? Well, Yeah come
2: to Dewey's. Uh, we sell comics and we do it. Okay. Not great. Okay. We're pretty good at it. Uh, and we'll always talk comics. Uh, and also we'll plug we're in the uh, world famous Joe Kubert school uh, where they can teach you how to draw and do all kinds of good comicy y stuff. Um, that's on the brochure, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, they're both great places. And once the pandemic is over, they can just do tours again. And they got a lot of cool stuff, a lot of art from all the famous alumni and teachers and everything. So, Hopefully that can clear up to the point, at least where people can come in and see our big old Fleischer animation camera where they, one of the ones they made the Superman cartoon on. I think that's kind of the coolest thing in the whole building. It doesn't work anymore and uh, the wood's rotting out and it's falling to pieces, but still very cool.
0: But still cool to look at. Well, John, we thank you for coming back on the show and uh, talking some tick with us.
2: I appreciate you having me back. I'm always good to talk some tick or Venture Brothers, which I steered the conversation towards immensely. But you know, hey, that's my favorite
0: show too. Well, we'll have to get we'll have to get you back to do that uh soon. Yeah, when the movie drops. Oh yes. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WM QA is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts Battle of the Atom, Chris's on Infinite Earths, and the new Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co hosted by our own Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WM QA on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support wmq at patreon.com slash WMQcomics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the ComicsXF staff picks, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Cap from ComicsXF, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the loyalist content consumer. You can follow wmq on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, when there was one set of footprints in the sand, that's when the Hulk carried you.